read the first three verses because, again, we looked at those last week. Already touched on a little bit. We'll touch on a little more than dive in this. But again, to the chief musician, a psalm of David. Blessed is he who considers the poor. The Lord will deliver him in time of trouble. The Lord will preserve him and keep him alive, and he will be blessed on the earth. You will not deliver him to the will of his enemies. The Lord will strengthen him on his bed of illness. You will sustain him on his sickbed. And again, last week we really looked at what it is and what does it look biblically to consider the poor. I looked at the balance in those things. We looked at the balance of, again, not looking down on anyone is less than us. And we looked at those scriptures in James, where James is writing to the church and talking about if a poor man comes in and a rich man comes in, don't you dare give preferential treatment to that rich man. And say to the poor man, go on the back or sit at my feet. You know what? There's no partiality with God. God sees us all the same. Also talked about the fact that everything we have is a gift from God. And let's absolutely not get prideful in that and arrogant in that and look down on others that don't have perhaps as much as we do. Again, we want to be thankful for what we have. We don't, listen, you don't need to be ashamed of anything if you have if you're giving thanks to God for it and you're a good steward of it. I know there's a lot of shaming today that's put on individuals that maybe have had a successful business or have finances, whatever. The only reason you would need to be ashamed of that is if you don't give glory to God and thanks to God and use that properly as the Lord would want you to use that. And, and, and so uh, the balance, again, is giving thanks and never taking for granted. Everything we have has been given to us, so let's not act like that's not the case. And to have a consideration to the poor that perhaps, you know what, they're in a place where they have less. That doesn't make them less than us. Considering the poor also, God and we got into meeting the needs of those in poor. That if we have the means to be able to help others, absolutely, God wants us to do that, to reach out. But the balance is we are not called to enable sin. We are not called to fund laziness. We are not called to fund drug habits. We are not called to fund... You know, whatever it would be, because a lot of times poverty is the result of sin. Absolutely not always the case. Absolutely not always the case. The church of Smyrna was poor, but they were rich. But sometimes it is the case. And sometimes there's other factors involved as well. But in considering the poor, Paul told those in Thessalonica, listen, some of you guys aren't working and you're taking everyone else's food. I got a word from the Holy Ghost for you. If you don't work... You don't eat because without with, with them not eating, they would realize they need to go out and work as God has called us to do that. Now, sometimes people want to work and they can't work. Maybe they can't find a job. Sometimes they want to work and they're not capable of working. That's a whole different category. So we considered all of those things and some more. Again, that's all recorded and so forth. Try to get a really balanced approach of these things. And David here, again, we're, we're getting instruction in as we compare scripture with scripture, what does it mean to consider the poor biblically? But then David starts reeling off all these promises that come to those who biblically consider the poor. And absolutely are blessings. Listen, when you bless others, in a way, you're blessing the Lord. It's not that God isn't all of us. We are separated from God in our sin. God comes to dwell in us through the Holy Spirit when we put our faith in Him. But absolutely, there are many, many scriptures where the Lord talks about in blessing the poor, we're blessing his heart. And absolutely, you can't outgive God. And David starts reeling off these promises. 
And he's reeling them off because he's standing in them in the midst of needing these promises right now to come to fruition. Again, the Lord will deliver them out of trouble. Guess what? We're getting to verse 4 and we're going to find out that David was in trouble. Verse 2, he says, the Lord will preserve him and keep him alive. We're going to find out there were people that were trying to kill David. He'll be blessed on the earth. There were many individuals that were cursing David. You will not deliver him to the will of his enemies. We're going to see his enemies had a will to, again, kill him and have his name no longer to be remembered. And then in verse 3, he says, the Lord will strengthen him on his bed of illness. We're going to find on top of all of this, David had a sick soul and perhaps even a sick body because of the predicament that he was in that was because of his own sin. And then he says, you will sustain him on his sick bed. David was in a place where he was sick. Now, most likely this was written in the time when Absalom was making a move on the throne. And again, as we looked at the Psalms over the summer and the summer before that, we saw there are many Psalms written around that time. You know what? Those things were still the fallout from when David, fornicator, actually committed adultery with Bathsheba, covered that up with a murder. There was great sickness that came upon David as a result of that until he finally confessed it to the Lord. Remember, there was sickness in his bones. And it seems that tonight, as we look at this, you know, those things had passed and David had repented, but his son Absalom, you know, had, through, through a whole series of events, a chain reaction of his body, of, of his family, just really falling into a lot of vile practices, Absalom had, his son, had taken over the kingdom. You know, he had, he had, he had gathered together a, a large group and there was an uprising. And through that, there's these enemies that are wanting to destroy David and it seems that probably at this point, as we look at 2 Samuel, the physical sickness was gone from David, but we'll see him tonight talking about the sickness in his soul. The sickness, and you know, how could it not make you sick when you sin grossly like that? You know, God in his grace forgives us when we confess that sin, but then to see the fallout of how it affects everyone around you. And how could he not be sick in his soul seeing his own son whom he loved, again, rising up against him. And then the people he's with are wanting to kill Absalom, his son, and he wants to spare his son while at the same time putting down what his son is doing. And, and so much there. But in the midst of all of it, again, David's claiming these promises because he's in a very, very desperate place. So we pick it up in verse 4. He says, I said, Lord, be merciful to me. Heal my soul for I have sinned against you. And again, we see David here crying out in a sickbed, whether it's a physical sickbed or it's a soulish sickbed. And I think that if I had to choose one or the other, that physical sickness or that soulish sickness, I'll take the physical any day of the week. Do you know what I'm talking about tonight? That sickness in your soul that comes upon you? I, I think... Every believer should be able to identify with this. We shouldn't be in a place, you know what, when, when you know what, as a, as a follower of Christ, where we participate in sin, especially to the degree that David had, and not have a grieving in our heart over that, a brokenness in us, especially when, you know what, those things aren't quickly dealt with before the Lord, 
when they're walked in for a season or two seasons or three seasons, as was the case with David, and then you start really seeing the ramification of your sin, the chickens, so to speak, coming home to roost and affecting so many people around you. This is why in James it talks about lamenting and weeping over our sin. And absolutely, we know in Christ we're washed, we're forgiven, we're saved by grace. But we're also told in Scripture, as you receive the Lord Jesus Christ, so walk in Him. And when we don't walk in Him, when we say He's our Lord, but we live as if we are our own Lord, we are going to sin not only against God, we're going to sin against others, we're going to sin against our own soul, and there's a sickness that comes upon us with that. We don't always initially recognize the sickness, but God is so faithful to chastise his own. It's like the prodigal son. He's out partying, partying, and partying, and finally he finds himself there amongst those hogs in that pig pen, and he saw a sickness come upon himself. What am I doing here? How did I get here? The servants of my father's house have it better than I have. I've sinned against my father. I want to go and beg for his forgiveness and hope that I could be a servant in his own household. That man on the prodigal had a sick soul, and it was finally when he got in that, that pig pen that he realized the sickness that he had. He had it the whole while. He was going downhill the whole while, but he was finally, his doctor's office was the pig pen. That's when he finally got the diagnosis. He really saw it. He really saw that his soul was full of a, a, a cancer because of a sinful behavior. And that's where, where David is. He's crying out for the healing of his soul. And I, I think it's important that we know. Listen, when, when we sin, when we practice sin, uh, as, as believers, uh, you know what? People that don't know the Lord, they're dead in their sin. They, they, need, they, they need to get revived. They, they need to get life. And I think this applies to them as well. Listen, there's damage that you do to your soul, to your heart, your mind, when you walk in rebellion against God. The same is true, though, for a believer. And I just can't encourage you enough, if you're in a place where there's things that you practice that you know that are outside of God's will, and you're practicing those things because there's fleshly enjoyment and so forth, and usually that's the case with sin. It's pleasurable, but remember, it's always only for a season. It's like taking honey into your mouth, but it gets into your stomach and it turns into gravel. What you need to know on top of that, though, you're damaging your soul. Again, in Christ, all things are lawful. Again, we're under grace, right? They all are all, they're all lawful. We're either forgiven or we're not, but they're not all profitable. And boy, when there are things that are being practiced that go against the Scriptures, things that God has called us to refrain from, and there are all kinds of things the Lord has called us to refrain from as New Testament believers, the moral law that God's called us to walk in, not to save us, but to protect us so we can shine for Him, so that we would walk in Lord Jesus Christ, and so we wouldn't, again, damage our souls. And I think it's important that we know that. When there's things before us, and you know what? We, we, we partake in them, or tempted to partake in them, that we remember in partaking of this, I'm going to do damage to my soul, to my person, to who really, really who I am. And on the other hand, though, when we draw near to Him, there's healing that comes to our souls. The Bible is a book that talks so much about restoration. It not only talks about forgiveness, washing, but then restoring what the locusts have eaten. Renewing us, adding to us, building us up, and so forth. And so I just ask you tonight, 
in your life? Are you in a process, the way that you live? Are you living a life that is damaging to your soul? Are you living a life where your soul is getting healed and your mind is being renewed? So on and so forth. And, and if it's the latter, you need to consider these things before the Lord Jesus Christ. Because again, as we received him as Lord, now he's called us to walk in him. And you know what happens when you walk with him? You walk with the great physician. And the great physician then is allowed, is, is, you're allowing him to heal you as you walk with him and to restore you. And we need our minds renewed, do we not? Amen. I mean, this culture we are living in, we, we come out of the womb and we're subjected to so many ungodly influences. I, my heart breaks for our youth you know, you, you see eight-year-olds running around with smartphones and so forth and no monitoring of what they're looking at and so forth. I remember when I was even that young, what I wanted to look at, and we kind of had to work to try to look at those things, right? You had to steal something from the store or dumpster dive or steal something from your buddy's dad, you know, the playboy or whatever it is. These kids have a right at their fingertips. And their souls are being destroyed. They really are with all these different influences. And that's just a minor part of it. So many ungodly voices out there. And in this room, I, I don't know if we really even understand, you know, at how callous we, we are because of, of, of just the culture we've lived in and all the influences we've had upon us. We need healing in our souls. We need renewing of our mind. And again, sin does the opposite, drawing near to him. And again, listen, it's one thing to struggle with things and bring them before the Lord and wrestle with God like Jacob. It's another thing, though, to willingly invite these things in and walk in them and practice them and make provision of them. That is, that is bringing poison right into your innermost being, right into your soul. And David here is crying out, be merciful to me, heal my soul. I have sinned against you. And so he's crying out on a sickbed, and he's saying, you know what, though I've sinned and I need mercy, I've also bore fruit. I've ministered to the poor. I've considered them biblically, and David always did. He considered them biblically. David was a man that, that I, he, he very much reflected the Lord, that he was a man that what, you never or rarely see him showing any form of partiality. This is why he wasn't intimidated by a character like Saul, and he would minister to Saul's crippled grandson Mephibosheth who everyone looked at was cursed and he looked at him through you know with with eyes like how Jesus looks at us to minister to him David was very much like that and he had considered the poor and it, it wasn't him proclaiming his own righteousness but it was him saying this is evidence of my faith in you because you're my Lord and you considered me in my poverty and my spiritual poverty I've considered others, and there's promises that come with that as I've walked with you. So though I am here sick, I'm asking you to come and forgive me of my sin, and I'm asking you to remember the works that I have walked in and the promises that come with that and to be merciful to me. And this is a wonderful thing. Listen, our good works can't take away our sin. Our sin can only be taken away by the blood of Jesus, but our sin won't negate our good works. Because if that was the case, none of us would have a crown or a mansion in heaven. We would have a bunch of outhouses up there if our sin took away our good works. I mean, think, think about it. And if you're like, not me, you better really think about it then because I'm sensing some pride there maybe in your soul. 
I think about, you know, at our works when in Corinthians, it talks about a fire being put to them. And the wood, hay, and stubble burn away, right? Those are works of the flesh. But the gold, silver, and precious stones remain. And in the midst of a lot of wood, hay, and stubble, David's saying, Lord, there's some gold, silver, and precious stones that are there. And they're the result of my faith in you. So please remember those things, Lord. I'm asking you as my father, you know what? You know, don't just consider my sin, but consider my fruit that is the product of having faith in you and be merciful to me. He says here in verse five, my enemies speak evil of me. When will he die? Uh, When will he die? His name perish. Uh, Again, there were individuals that desperately wanted to destroy David. Some because he was righteous and is a righteousness. Others because of his transgressions. Either way, the group was large. And again, they wanted to see him killed. And they wanted to see his name never to be remembered. And does that not remind us of our enemy, Satan, the thief who comes to steal and kill and destroy? And listen, if his will were to be done, every soul would be destroyed. And every name would never be remembered again. The good news in Jesus Christ, we have eternal life. And hear this tonight, our names will never be forgotten. The scripture even talks about when we go to glory, we're going to have a new name that only we know and only God knows. Now, obviously, we'll probably have a name as well that everybody else knows, otherwise that would get really confusing. But I take that as this. God loves each one of us so much individually that he's going to have a special name for each one of us that only we know and he knows. And it's a picture of just great intimacy of a heavenly father with his children who he loves. Isn't that awesome? To have that promise. Our enemy, though, would want to destroy us and for our name never to be remembered again. And there are so many in this life, they live to have their name remembered. I, I shared a few weeks ago, I'd heard someone say, you die twice in life. And I don't know who said this first. Again, this is from a secular viewpoint. You die twice in life when you actually die. And then the second time is when your name is never remembered again. I'm going to tell you, that's going to be everybody outside of Jesus Christ. Even the most well-known individuals that you know, if they don't know the Lord Jesus Christ, we might even know them from centuries ago, but the day is going to come. We're not going to be sitting around in glory talking about people that rejected the Lord and so forth. We may remember about them, but no one's going to be talking about them. No one's going to be reiterating that name. We're going to be reiterating the name of the Lord Jesus Christ and give him glory. And we're going to be focusing in on the glorious things there. If you want your name to be remembered forever, you want to live forever, you got to come to the king and have your sins washed and cleansed. And then you have all these promises that are yes and amen. Verse 6, he says, and if he comes to me, he speaks lies. He hears and gathers iniquity to itself. When he goes out, he tells it. So David here is talking about his enemies. And he's really describing a spy who comes around David and pretends to be his friend. Really, though, he's gathering information to try to bring it against David. And he goes out and he slanders him to other individuals. We got to remember, listen, the enemy oftentimes will will come in like a spy. He wants to spy things out. He wants to come in to steal and kill and destroy as a wolf in sheep's clothing. 
the whole book of Galatians, it talks about individuals that came in to spy out your liberty. And then remember, they came in with a legalistic false gospel to try to stumble individuals. So there are going to be spies like this, some knowing what they're doing, others not knowing what they're doing. But if they're coming in to spy out lies, to try to spy out words, let's be careful with our words. Let's be careful what we're saying. Listen, be careful what you put on social media because it's out there, and guess what? It's probably never coming back. It's going to be out there forever. Verse 7, he says, All who hate me whisper together against me. Against me they devise my hurt. So again, some hated David because of righteousness. Others hated him because of his shortcomings. But they all had common ground. And it seems they participated in this whispering campaign together to devise his hurt. It makes me think of Herod and Pilate who were always enemies But when it came to Jesus Christ and his crucifixion, all of a sudden they found out they had something in common. They were opposed to the Lord Jesus Christ. And from that day forward, we read that they became friends. He says there in verse 8, An evil disease, they say, clings to him. And now that he lies down, he will rise up no more. Again, they were trying to diagnose this. They were hoping for this. It reminds me of Job's counselors. Remember Job when he's being afflicted by Satan? And the Lord had allowed Satan to afflict him. And these guys are concluding this is because of Job's sin. This is why he is in this place that he's in. Now, the things they were saying were actually fairly accurate about the result of sin. The problem was, though, Job wasn't in that place because of his sin. He was there because God had allowed it to happen. These guys are really stepping into bounds that it wasn't their place to diagnose. And we need to be careful and make sure that our judgments are righteous ones and not unrighteous judgments. Listen, we can make a righteous judgment in someone's doctrine and fruit. We're called to judge those things. But we need to be careful in judging why someone is in the place that they're actually in. They were making this conclusion. An evil disease has clinged to him. You know what? Perhaps some of this was the result of David's sin. But God was working through all this. This was more God's chastisement to his son to get his attention, to bring him back to the place of prominence that he was once in. Notice as well, he says, now that he lies down, he will rise up no more. And basically, they're celebrating this. They're they're looking at David as their enemy, and they're taking great pleasure in the thoughts that, again, he's going to die, an evil disease clings to him, he's going to rise up no more. Let's make sure that we don't walk in that. Listen, the Lord Jesus Christ had many enemies. The scripture talks about if you're going to walk with the Lord, there's going to be some people that just flat out don't like you. There's more Christians. Are you okay? Okay. Because you're kind of getting disruptive, all right? All right. There are a lot of disruptions. Or there, there, there's a lot of persecution uh, to the body of Christ throughout the world today where it's not just coming against people. It is absolutely killing people. And you know what? There's enemies. If you're going to walk with the Lord, you're going to have enemies. If you're going to stand for him, you're going to have enemies. Let's not have a heart, though, that these enemies of David had towards him. The Bible says judgment's merciless to those who show no mercy. We need to be praying for individuals that don't know the Lord, that they'll come to know him. Because when that happens, listen, God's glorified. It's easy to fall into a place, though, where we begin to long for vengeance and vindication. And that is always to our glory, not to his glory. And so maybe there's some people tonight in your life, they've slighted you, 
they've wronged you. Maybe it's just in living life. Maybe others is because of your Christianity. Have you forgiven them? Are you praying for their salvation? Or are you like these individuals that were wishing for David's death, saying he's going to fall down and rise no more, and then I'll get vengeance and I'll get vindication to my glory? Hear this. God is always more glorified when a sinner repents than when the vengeance of God comes upon their head. And he's glorified in that too when it's him. But we don't want it to be for us and our glory. I mean, we think that way, right? People slight you and you're thinking vengeance against them and then I'm going to feel satisfied and you know what? I'm going to get vindicated. Let's die to that. Because if that was the case for us, we would be snuffed out a long time ago. Let's have a heart that would hope these people repent to the glory of God, to his honor, and to his praise. Verse 9, he says, Even my own familiar friend, and whom I trusted, who ate my bread, has lifted up his heel against me. Again, David had familiar friends. David had a lot of friends. Listen, David, again, he not only he considered the poor and he considered others. David is an incredibly generous man throughout the scriptures. David never had issue in sharing what he had with others. And this was obviously a friend who at one point benefited greatly from David. David gave his bread to this man. And now he's in a place, though, he's lifting his heel up against David. Have you ever had anyone like that in your life? They're coming around when they can benefit from you. And then when it comes to a place where no longer they can benefit from you, or it's in a place where maybe you hit a rough patch in life. Anyone here ever hit a rough patch? We've hit a few of them, right? All of a sudden, you know what? They're not around anymore. They're not your friend anymore. And then on top of that, they begin to lift their heel against you. Whether it's a whispering campaign that we talked about here. Whether it's spying out and then spreading gospel or spreading gossip. Or to so the point where, where, you know what, they're plotting you know what, your demise and trying to come against you in a place of weakness. I'll tell you though, trials is something that reveals a lot. When you go through a trial, oftentimes that's when you find out who your real friends are, right? I'll tell you in trials as well as oftentimes when we find out who we really are, ourselves. Now, does this mean we shouldn't trust people? No, it means we need to trust in the Lord, but we need to know that people can fail us. And we also need to know that tonight, if you're in the place where people who were once your friend have betrayed you, you're not the first one to it, for it to happen to. You're not the first one. You won't be the last one. And hear this. You don't want to fall into a place where you have a victim's mentality. A victim's mentality is not a biblical mentality. And there's some people, they just run around with their head down, feeling sorry for themselves at every single turn, because a few people betrayed him and stabbed him in the back. You know what I say to that? Welcome to a fallen world. It's going to happen. Because ultimately, you know what this scripture is about? It's actually a fulfillment of prophecy. We celebrated communion tonight. And in that upper room, remember the Lord says, there's one of you that's going to betray me. It's the one who I give the bread to and I eat. And they eat it. Who was it? It was Judas. This is a fulfillment of, it is a messianic prophecy. Judas, Jesus' familiar friend who ate bread with him, would lift his heel up against the Lord for 30 pieces of silver. He sold out, for the, Lord, sold out the Lord for 30 pieces of silver. And you talk about sickness and soul. 
Afterwards, Judas was so depressed about it, he went and he hung himself. Now, he could have been washed. He could have been forgiven. After he had done it, Jesus knew what had happened. And remember, he comes to betray the Lord. He said, it'll be the one whom I kiss. That's the one you're looking for. He kisses him on the cheek, and Jesus calls him friend. Because at that point, even then, the Lord would be willing to forgive him and wash him and so forth. But instead of humbling his heart, he moved in his pride. Notice here verse 10, and we're getting close here. He says, but you, O Lord, be merciful to me and raise me up that I may repay them. Now think about this. David's on his back. David's soul is sick. They're plotting against him as enemies. It's not just a few. They're whispering. They're plotting how to destroy him. All this is going on. And he says here in verse 10, but you. It is not a glorious thing. I mean, in this life where we're living in, where we make our own messes, this life where we're living in, where at times there's people plotting against us, as a follower of Christ, we're in the midst of spiritual warfare. Maybe tonight you're in a place such as this or similar to this, or you can relate to this in some way or another because of the hole you feel like you're in, and we can lay it all out, but let's never forget, but you, O Lord. And if it wasn't for, but you, O Lord, None of us would have any hope in whatever situation we're in. But you, O Lord, let's remember that. What are you going through tonight? What trial are you going through? What tribulation? What struggle do you have? Listen, don't just focus in on that. Look at that. Then bring it to him and say, this is all here, but the Lord is on the throne. And the Lord wants to give mercy. And the Lord wants to raise us up. And the Lord wants to go before us. So let's lay all this stuff down and let's get our eyes upon him, the one who can do something about all this stuff. He is merciful. And he's going to pour out his mercy on any that humble their hearts before him and get real with him. And in that, he will raise us up if we get our eyes upon him. He absolutely takes great pleasure in that. Now notice here, David tacks on, raise me up that I may repay, repay them. And then you're like, aha, that's what I'm looking for. Now I got my vengeance verse here. Don't forget, David was the king of Israel. David was the magistrate. David absolutely was in charge of bringing law and order to the land. This is not the word of God, uh, you know what, promoting vigilante behavior. David was the king. These guys had a coup. They were trying to tear apart the kingdom. David says, raise me up, Lord, be merciful to me, so that I as well could be an appointed vessel of you to go and bring order back to the kingdom because Romans 13 so many places talk about governing authorities set up by God they have the sword to be able to bring order where there would be disorder without that order that was appointed by God now does that mean all governments are perfect no they're far from it and does that mean we do everything the government tells us to do no if they're asking us to sin we honor the king of kings first and foremost over any natural king any day of the week. But David absolutely was the magistrate. He was saying that I can bring order to this. Verse 13, he says, By this I know that you're well pleased with me, because my enemy does not triumph over me. Again, in Christ Jesus, we have victory over our enemies. We have victory over sin, Satan, death, the mentality of the world, hell, even victory over our flesh that wars against our soul. We have that ultimate victory in knowing that through the death and resurrection of Christ and through faith in Him, 
that absolutely he is pleased with us through faith in him. And that's the only thing that's going to make us acceptable. And that's the only thing that, again, is pleasing to him when our faith is in the Lord and we're walking in that faith. And he's longing and wanting that for us. He says in verse 12, as, as for me, you uphold me in my integrity and set me, and set me before your face forever. Again, even those with integrity at times are going to fall short. Look at the scriptures. You see these great men and women of God, and you know what? We rejoice when we see their great exploits, and you're like, wow, you know what? Look at these guys. They're in the Bible, and you know, maybe, you know, and in some foolish moment, you're thinking, man, that would, that would be cool if I were one of those guys, and my great exploit of faith, faith is talked about. You know, Gideon taking the 300 men out and, and, you know, defeating the enemies of God. But let's remember, in, in the next thing, is talking about Gideon's failures, right? How he set up the false idol and so forth. And there's times when men with integrity, and hopefully we're a people here tonight with integrity and wanting to walk in integrity, but there's going to be times we fall short. And David, for the most part, was a man of great integrity. He was a man after God's own heart. But he hit some rough patches. There were times when he wasn't doing what God had called him to do. And again, there were great consequences. And he's saying, Lord, in my shortcomings, hold me up in my integrity. And aren't you glad that absolutely the Lord holds us up? He holds us up. In him, we can't get out of his hands. And then from there, he's wanting to set us up. And set me before your face forever. He doesn't say, give me the strength to rise up on my own. He says, you hold me up and you set me up. I love Micah 7, 8. It says, do not rejoice over me, my enemy. When I fall, I will arise. When I sit in darkness, the Lord will be a light to me. I will bear the indignation of the Lord because I have sinned against him until he pleads my case and executes justice for me. He will bring forth He will bring me forth to the light and I will see his righteousness. Then she who is my enemy will see and shame will cover her who said to me, where is the Lord your God? My eye will see her. Now she will be trampled down like mud in the streets. So in other words, Micah is talking here about sitting in the darkness, but God in his faithfulness being a light to us and picking us up. And David's in a place where absolutely his soul sick. All these things are coming against him. He knows this is in part because of his shortcomings, despite being a man of integrity, but is rejoicing. He says, all this is going on, but God's on the throne. God's even used this to get my eyes back upon him, and he's going to uphold me, and he's going to set me right before him. And that's the faithfulness of our God to each one of us. Finally here, verse 13, he says, Blessed be the Lord God of Israel, from everlasting to everlasting. Amen. And amen. Notice here the Lord God of Israel, and he says, from everlasting to everlasting. So much here. He is the God from everlasting to everlasting. No beginning, no end. He is the I am. He always has been. He's the same yesterday, today, and forever. Notice as well, though, he's the God of Israel from everlasting to everlasting. God's not done with the nation of Israel. God, in his goodness, though, The majority of Israel rejected his first coming. God has been faithful to her. He's gathered her back back together in these last days. And we read in the scripture the days coming when all Israel 
is going to be saved. And as followers of Christ in the new covenant, we need to greatly rejoice in that because as we see God's faithfulness to Israel, we can see God's faithfulness to us. And that is a glorious, glorious thing. And these people that start saying, well, God's done with Israel, man, that's not biblical. And if God's done with Israel, you better start shaking in your boots because the day's going to come when he's going to be done with us as well. How many sins does it take to get out of, you know what, God's graces as a follower of the Lord? Well, their sin was so great. Well, sin, sin, right? If God's not faithful to us and his grace isn't sufficient, we're all in big trouble. And then he says, amen and amen. In other words, so be it. It's the final word and it's the authority on the matter. And absolutely, God's word absolutely is. Well, Heavenly Father, we praise you tonight. We thank you for your goodness. We thank you for the time and the Psalms here. Lord, let us consider these things, take them to heart. Lord, we thank you for time tonight, God, to partake of the Lord's Supper together. We thank you for your death and resurrection. And listen, tonight, if you haven't called on the name of the Lord, today's the day of salvation. Our sin separates us from him. That might not seem like a big deal to you tonight, but boy, it's going to be a big deal on Judgment Day when you stand before the living God. And that day can come at any time. Life is short. Life is a vapor. It comes and it goes. It's here and it's gone. And then we give an account for our short-lived life here. And will you be found judged to the uttermost under his wrath or saved to the uttermost under the shed blood of Jesus Christ? And I'll tell you, he loves you tonight. He wants to wash you. He wants to cleanse you. Humble your heart. Call on his name. He absolutely will meet you where you are. I don't care what you've done. He doesn't care about that either. He just wants to forgive you and cleanse you. And meet you where you are. Begin a good work in you, and he'll be faithful to complete it. So call on him tonight if you, if you haven't. If you're not sure, you don't know where you're at with the Lord, humble your heart before him and ask him then to truly be your Lord. And that means, again, if he's your Lord, then whatever your Lord is, you turn from that. That's what repentance is. And I'll tell you, for most of us, and really all of us, what that other Lord is, is our own belly. We just do what we want to do when we want to do it. Versus coming to Him and asking for forgiveness, for Him to be the Lord and Savior of our life, and say, Lord, now I want you to lead my life. According to your scriptures, the Spirit of God, and He'll help you, He'll meet you where you're at. He'll begin a work, and He absolutely will complete that work. He'll be faithful to do it. Lord, bless the rest of our evening, our fellowship, our time out here, and so forth. And so we just praise you and thank you. We pray these things in Jesus' name and we sit together. Amen. Amen.